Thank you, Gene. What great words from Isaiah the prophet this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Pastor Mark and I were talking this week about the message, and, and uh, we were talking about a, a title, and he goes, so what are you thinking for a title? I said, Promise Keeper. And he goes, well, that's, that's the title for next week's message. <laughs> I said, okay, how about the waiting game? <laughs> yeah. So it's good that we talk, yeah, because it would have been the Promise Keeper and Promise Keeper 2. Um, had I not talked to him. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, this is important. Abram is having, uh, we're going to be talking today about the fact that Abram has this vision, uh, and God is speaking to him, and God is promising him some pretty important things. And we're going to see that, because really, all of chapter 15 is a promise that God gives. The first part that we're going to look at today is the promise to him about an heir, and then uh, the next week, ne- next week is a promise about the land. So he's talking about people and then the possessions. And so that's all of chapter 15. So I guess there it is in a nutshell. It's been a great week. You guys take care. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to come back next week because we just talked about that too. No, I'm kidding. No, we want, we want to dig into this and find the nuggets of truth that God has for us today. But um, as we begin, the, again, I entitled it The Waiting Game. And I want to just share this illustration with you. Pro baseball player R.A. Dickey was the 2012 National League Cy Young Award winner which is the highest honor for a pitcher. But Dickey's career almost ended before it started. In 1996, the Texas Rangers made him their number one draft pick and offered him uh, like an $810,000 signing bonus contract. All uh, he had to do was pass a routine team physical. But unknown to Dickey, the the physical revealed that his right elbow was missing its ulnar collateral ligament. That's his pitching arm. It's missing a key ligament. Yeah, but he's never, he, he said, I never had problems with that. I never struggled with anything with that elbow. And, and so when they found that out, they uh, called him in uh, to, to the office. And it says, as Dickie, a committed follower of Christ, entered training camp, he uttered a prayer of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings and for helping me get this far. But shortly after that prayer, his agent pulled him into a meeting with Doug Melvin, the Rangers general manager. Melvin flat, flatly said, uh, we're going to retract our offer. We think there's something wrong with your elbow. <clears throat> And so they took the signing bonus down from like $810,000 to $75,000. And so Dickey writes this. He said, I tried to take in those words for a second or two. We're going to retract our offer. I don't feel devastation or even anger. I feel rage, complete rage. It feels as if uh, it starts in my toes and blasts upward through my body like a tsunami into my guts and right up through the top of my head. I want to tell Melvin about how this is the one thing that I can do right and that makes me somebody. I want to make sure he knows that he's matter-of-factly dropped this atomic bomb on my baseball career, on my life. But it's as if there's a strong hand on my shoulder holding me back, giving me pause. In that instant, I have a self-control that wasn't there a moment earlier. I hear a voice. Relax, I've got you. Relax, R.A., it's okay. I've got you. The voice is the Holy Spirit. I was just talking to God in my prayer, and now he's talking back, giving me a composure that could not have come from anywhere else. The tsunami passes. I'm crushed by Doug Melvin's words, but I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do anything stupid. I've got you. So Dickie had to wait, right? He had to wait to see his dream of becoming a professional baseball player fulfilled. He was part of the Texas Rangers minor league system uh, until 2001. That means he waited five years to make the pros. But God's promise through the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. 
God did have him and rewarded him with the Cy Young Award in 2012. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah, so he was still missing that ligament, but God protected him and sustained him through his career and allowed him to become a very successful pitcher. And then he retired, I think, in 2017 with the Braves. So most of you know my story about coming into pastoral ministry. I told the Lord no to pastoral ministry for 13 years before saying yes. The Lord waited uh, much longer for me than I had to wait for him. It was within several months of saying yes to the Lord going into pastoral ministry that he provided the senior pastor role here at Idaville. So I, I didn't have to wait 13 years. God wasn't like... He wasn't repaying me in the way that I had acted towards him. <laughs> he didn't say, okay, well, you're going to have to wait 13 years, and then I'll provide a pastoral ministry role for you. Recently, I've been fortunate to see the Lord answer prayers pretty quickly. There are some, still some prayers I'm waiting on the Lord for. His answer right now is just wait. Just wait. My dad shared when he was here for our revival services about praying for my brother he was, uh, my parents prayed for many years for my brother. They were praying for him to return to the Lord and to surrender his addiction to alcohol. And it was many years of heartache and pain before my brother surrendered his life to the Lord, but my parents saw the Lord answer their prayers. And all that time, it was wait. It was wait. So the waiting game and, you know, things that we've had to wait for in our lives. Just think about those for a minute. You had to wait for a driver's license, Right? And things have changed over the years. Now you've got to drive a certain amount of time on your permit and da, 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 and all those things before you can get your license. And you had to wait to buy that first car, right? You were, you were ready at 12, right? I want to get my car at 12. I'm ready. I'm just... You had to wait for your first job, maybe your first boyfriend or girlfriend. You had to uh, wait to complete school, whether it was high school or college or your master's or your doctorate. You had to wait for the, a job in your field. There's a lot of people that are graduating today from college, and they can't find a job in their field. So they have to work another job, and then they're, but they're constantly looking for a job within their field. And so they had to wait on that. Maybe you've had to wait on a spouse, and some of you are still waiting for that. Some people have had to wait for children, and some of you are still waiting for that. And some of people have had to wait for their first million dollars. And some of us are still waiting for that one. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> I'm hoping that the jewels in my crown are much more than that in heaven. So, Abram has just returned from an incredible victory that God had provided. It was during that time that Abram's feeling afraid about his future. God is aware of Abram's fears and comes to him in a vision to encourage and comfort him. And during this vision, Abram questions God about his promised heir and the delay um, in seeing that fulfilled. And God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. And through this passage today, we're going to learn this. And this comes from Baldwin's commentary, but it's our big idea today. God's delays are not denials. Just because God's saying wait doesn't mean he's saying no. That's another way to state it. His delays are not denials. And so as we think about that, let that kind of permeate a little bit in your heart and mind. Let it percolate. Um, Let it go deep a little bit this morning as we just turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just come to you today, and we thank you that, that we can come uh, and open your word. That we have the freedom to do that today. And Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on each person here today, that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear uh, the message that you have for them today. I pray that your words would come through my mouth, that they wouldn't be my words at all, that they wouldn't be my thoughts, Lord God, but only yours. 
because, Lord, your words are powerful. Mine just are, 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 are so weak and frail. I, I don't have any, any power to influence anyone, Lord God, but you have incredible power to influence and change hearts and minds. And anyway, I pray that you would accomplish that through your word and through your message today. And so we just lift it up to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at three Ps today, protection, provocation, and promise. That's what we're looking at today. And the first one comes in verse 1. Look at verse 1 with me in chapter 15, and this is what God's Word says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And so we see the, the first two words here. After this is probably referring to what just what we just learned in Genesis chapter 14, Abram just defeated the four eastern kings and sent them packing. And I'm certain this didn't sit well with those kings. It was possible that these four kings would rest, rebuild, and return with reinforcements to attack Abram. So, you know, nobody likes to lose, right? So you go back and you kind of lick your wounds a little bit, and then you come uh, packing ready to go for the next round. It's like, we don't like to lose, and so we make changes, and we do different things like that. So it's possible that these four kings may come back. Now, we're not told that in Scripture um, that, it, that that happened, but it could have, certainly. And so we see his fears here this morning. Abram could have been fearful about the kings returning, but it's also possible that Abram is fearful about his future. Since he and Sarai have not had a child, they haven't been able to conceive yet. So he's, he's perhaps thinking about his future, too, and he's like, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I'm fearful about that. I know what God's promise is, but I haven't seen that fulfilled yet. And we'll talk about kind of that time frame in just a little bit. But then we see this encouragement. Abram is feeling discouraged. It would seem uh, like he should not be discouraged because of the great victory, but he's human, just like you and I. How often do we come off of some incredible thing that God's done in our lives, and then we're immediately, like, feeling down? Like, why? Why does that happen? Well, that's Satan. He just doesn't want us to, to live in victory in what Christ has done for us, what God is doing in our lives. I've experienced discouragement, um, you know, in different times. Uh, it, and it doesn't make sense, but it happens more often than not. I always chalk it up to spiritual warfare. So, something incredible happens here at church or in our family. And then I just feel down. I've also experienced the heaviness and feeling of being down right before something incredible happens as well. So I've felt that spiritual battle going on prior to what God's going to do and has done. And it just doesn't make sense because I feel like everything's going fine. But I feel discouraged and I feel down. And maybe you're in that boat today. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. You're like, things should be good. Life's really good. I've, I've got a job. You know, my wife and I are, are doing really, really well. You know, our kids are doing great. And, or maybe you're in school and you're like, th things in school are going really well right now. And it's like, but I still feel down. And maybe you're experiencing that today. In the middle of Abram's discouragement and fear, God tells him not to be afraid. And he uses an I am statement as the reason why Abram should not be afraid. Boy, when God says those words, we need to listen, right? Because he's about to tell us one of his attributes. I am... And then he completes it. You know, when you think in the New Testament, you think of the fact that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, you know, he goes on. I'm the light of the world. I am, he uses all those I am statements to, to tell us who he is. And that's what God is doing here with Abram. He says, let me tell you who I am. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid, Abram. Let me tell you who I am. And so he says this, the Lord is Abram's shield. The Hebrew word is used metaphorically of God as a protector 
And so that leads us to our first principle today. It's who God is. God is our protector. He, God protects us as his children. We don't have anything to fear. Psalm chapter 118, verse 6 says this. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 say this, and they're quoting Psalm 118. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid about money as long as we're not allowing it to uh, control us. Um, an illustration from preachingtoday.com. It's out of the Sources Marriage Partnership. It says this, Threaten layoffs at work, drugs and weapons in the schools. We have every right to be fearful, right? Maybe not. In Scared to Life by Victor, uh, that's the, anyhow, Douglas Rumford is the, the author, cites a study that explains why we shouldn't allow fear to rule our lives. Here's some of the statistics. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. They just are. It's like nothing's, nothing's going to come of this fear. It's just unfounded. 20% are already behind us, but we're still thinking about them, worrying about them, right? All those fears, they're behind us. 10% are so petty they, they, don't, uh, they don't make any difference. And then 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but we can't do anything about them. But we still worry about them. We still stress. And then he says that means that only 5% are real fears that, can, that we can do something about. So we don't really have any reason to fear. It's just this little tiny, what, 5% that are real that we can actually affect change on. And so what fears are you facing today? Maybe it's job-related. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a relationship that you'd like to see healed and restored. Maybe it's physical. Maybe there's some spiritual thing going on right now. God's asking you to do something, and you're resisting. Mm, I understand that. You can trust the Lord to be your shield, your protector through all of those circumstances, and he is always with us. That's what Hebrews 13, 5 says. He says that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he'll never turn his back on us and walk away. He's right there in the midst of that situation you're going through. And so maybe you need to claim this uh, or take this next step today, and that's to claim God's promise that he is my shield, my protector. And when you claim that promise, you don't have to fear anymore. You can just leave it in God's hands. You can put it at the foot of the cross and know that he's going to take care of it. Alexander McLaren says this, In these antique words, the very loftiest and purest principles of spiritual religion are set forth. Here they are. He that loves and trusts God possesses God. It's like he's a part of us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He that possesses God has enough for earth. And he that possesses God has enough for heaven. When we're in a relationship with God, he's enough for whatever we need here on earth, whatever we need for heaven. And I think that's just an incredible uh, truth and promise. Matthew says this, the quote-unquote reward is not paid to him, he's talking about Abram, as compensation for his hero heroic deeds of chapter 14, or he would have received payment from the kings. Remember, he, he, he said no um, to Bera, the king of, of Sodom. Rather, the reward looks ahead to the gifts of descendants and land already promised. So God's saying to him, I am your protector, I'm your shield, 
and I'm your great reward. Trust me, it's coming. And so God is addressing the fears that Abram has about his future. And he encourages Abram not to fear the future. He is in control. Abram asks the Lord a question and makes a logical statement in his mind because he has a human mind. We see that in verses 2 and 3. This is the provocation. Look at those verses with me. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have uh, given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So he asked this question, what can you give me since I remain childless? Abraham's really asking God, um, who will inherit his reward since I don't have any children? Wages make a future possible, but a childless person has no future. That's uh, Zimrelli. At this point, Abram has been in Canaan for 10 years and still hasn't seen the fulfillment of God's promise found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 7. God tells him there, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says, you know, it, it's going to happen. And he gives that promise to Abram, but it's been 10 years. Abram's 85 years old at this point, and we know that the, uh, the son of promise, Isaac, would not be born for another 15 years. So Abram's not done with the waiting game. He's going to have to wait another 15 years for this to be fulfilled. And I don't believe that Abram's doubting God at this point. I believe that Abram's probably asking the Lord for the timing of when it will happen. Aren't, isn't that just like us? We, like we know in our hearts, in our minds, we know the promises of God. We know that he can fulfill those promises. But we're always like, when is that going to happen, God? You said, you said in your word that you would allow this to happen in my life, and, and I believe it. I'm claiming that promise today. But can you just tell me when? So like I can like pr- mentally prepare for it. It's so important to be mentally prepared, right? For tests, for labor and delivery. I'm just thinking about certain uh, examples from my own life. You know, it's nice to be mentally prepared for those things. It helps us physically then. And so I think that's what Abram, Abram's not doubting God. He's just saying, hey, can you just kind of give me a little heads up? When is this going to happen? And then he makes this statement. He says, a servant will be my heir. The Hebrew word for heir literally means son of acquisition. It was a common practice in the ancient Near East, in the ancient times, for couples who remained childless to adopt a son to take care of them in their old age uh, and inherit their possessions. And so Abram and Sarai have already begun to think about this and probably ask Eleazar to be their adopted son. And then if Abram and Sarai had a, a son of their own, a biological son, that son would retain the title of heir, and Eleazar would forfeit that position. Gangle and, and Bramer, they're citing Ross, say this. His, Abram's, concern was expressed by a marvelous wordplay on his household servant's origin. This Eleazar of Damascus is the possessor heir, or son of possession, of my estate. It is as if Abraham were stressing to God that the omen is in the nomen. So you see the two. Can you just go back one for me, Doug? You see the two Hebrew words here for Damascus and possessor or heir. And you see uh, the, the M-E-S-E-Q at the end of Damascus and the M-E-S-E-Q. It's, it's a word play. And so I go to the next slide then. And this is that statement that they're making here. The, the omen, so like Eliezer of Damascus, that's the omen, is the nomen. You know, he's going to be the heir. And so um, anyhow, uh, this uh, was not God's plan for Abram and Sarai. He 
So he reaffirms his promise to Abram, which is what we see in verses 4 to 6. So look at those verses with me, if you would. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. So we see this promise then. This biological son will be your heir. God tells Abram that Eleazar will not be his heir. The Lord reaffirms his promise that Abram and Sarah will have a son, and he's reaffirming what he said earlier. And, and this is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 7. I will make you into a great nation. That's verse 2. And then verse 7 says, To your offspring I will give this land. Of course, that's what you're going to hear about next week. So that leads us to principle two. And it's an important principle that God keeps his promises. Abram was probably starting to wonder if God was going to give, uh, really going to give he and Sarai a son. It had been 10 years and nothing had happened. And it's easy to get discouraged and begin to doubt the Lord. But God's delays are not denials, as we see here. God always keeps his promises. We can count on that. And perhaps you're struggling today to really embrace and accept that truth. Because you're just like Abram. You're like, what's the time frame, God? When is this going to happen? Maybe you're doubting that the Lord will fulfill a promise that he's made to you. And there are some of us who have claimed certain promises from God's word, but we haven't seen that promise fulfilled yet. Don't lose heart. Don't become discouraged. Don't turn away from the Lord. Hang in there. Hang in there. Keep going to him. He's with you. He knows what you're going through, and he hasn't forgotten his promise to you. And that just maybe is the next step you need to take today, is to confess to the Lord that I'm struggling to be patient for the fulfillment of his promise to me. Just be honest with him. He wants to hear that. He's not going to be offended that you're upset. He's not going to be say, oh, that's it. I'm done with Stuart. I'm not going to do anything for him anymore because he's just so impatient. No, he's like, I want to hear from you. I love you. Let me speak into your heart and mind. Let me, let me speak to you through, through my word. Let me encourage you not to be afraid. And so the Lord encouraged Abram, Abram by telling him that Eleazar would not be his heir, but a biological son that would be, would be his heir. And so God is reaffirming his promise to Abram, and then he gave Abram a visual illustration of what the future would look like for his family. So we see this visual illustration, and we learn a couple of things from it. From verse 5, Abram was inside his tent during the vision. And it was at nighttime. Because, you know, God says, hey, I want you to step outside. So we know he's in a tent. And then he's looking up at the night sky because the stars are out. And he's like, I want you to count the stars. And so he's comparing Abram's offspring to the stars. And the Lord encouraged Abram to count the stars if he could. There were millions of stars. Abraham wasn't going to be able to do that. He wasn't going to be able to count them all. This wasn't the first time that God mentioned an impossible task to illustrate Abram's offspring. We see in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, these words, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Have you ever tried to even just count one piece of dust? Come on. I, you, get a little, you get a whole bunch of dust. I can't even see the one piece of dust, let alone, the only reason I see the dust is because there's a whole bunch of dust. And so it, it, he's giving these impossible things simply to encourage Abram. He says, listen, this is going to happen. It's going to be incredible. Wearsby says this, whether Abraham looked down at the dust or up at the stars, he would recall God's promise and have confidence. 
Maybe God needs to do that for you today. Just a reminder from the earth and from the sky, so that whether you're looking down or looking up, he's reminding you of his promises and his truths, and that he's going to take care of you. Abram's offspring would be as numerous as the stars. God's promise to Abram came, um, uh, became tr- uh, or was true both in a physical and a spiritual sense. There have been millions of people born since Abram's time who are his biological offspring. And then Baldwin says, How appropriate, therefore, was the sign the Lord would give to Abram not only physical descendants, but also the children of faith in every generation and of every nation. We see in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, that spiritual um, descendants that God gives to Abram. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also uh, to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he, uh, he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So Abraham is our spiritual father. He's the one who had this incredible faith. We have the benefit of that. We can have that same faith. The Lord uses the visual illustration of the innumerable stars to encourage Abraham or Abram that he will keep his promise. You see, God's delays are not denials. And it says here that Abram believed. That was all Abram needed to hear. He just needed to be, he needed to hear the words again from God. I'm going to keep my promise to you. I trust me. Your heir is going to come from your own body. You're going to inherit this land. It's going to be a while, but you'll inherit the land. He believed the Lord. This is the first time in the Bible that the verb believe is used. The Hebrew construction translated believed means to place trust in someone with confidence. That's what Matthew says. Abram's belief in the Lord was not a first-time experience here, but rather an ongoing faith from the beginning of their relationship. His faith hadn't wavered. Walk, he says, Abraham considers God true, reliable, and trustworthy. Abraham knows that God will be faithful to him and that he will keep his promise. And that takes us to the third principle today, that God is pleased when his people believe his promises, believe his word. Abram had been waiting a long time for the fulfillment of God's promise for an heir. He was going to have to wait another 15 years, but Abraham believed God's promise. He didn't doubt You may be waiting on God's promise to be fulfilled for you, but don't doubt. Just believe. God will keep his promise to you. Maybe you just need to take this next step today, and that's to reaffirm my belief that God keeps his promises. Maybe you just need to hear from him today and say, that's all I needed, God. I just needed to hear your words again, that you'll keep your promise. And when we take that step of faith, God recognizes it. And it says here that the Lord credited to Abram as righteousness. The term credited, also translated reckoned or counted, means to assign value. In this case, the Lord assigns Abram's faith the value of righteousness. The Lord and Abram were in right relationship. And Walton says, because Abram takes God at his word, God credits him with a legacy on the basis of the rightness of his faith. He accomplishes this by formally establishing the covenant with him. Recognized righteousness becomes the basis for blessing. And so the covenant between the Lord and Abram is what we'll see and look at next week. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 11 says this, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So Abraham or Abram understood that God's delays are not denials. And we need to claim that truth for our lives today too. The Lord was going to provide a biological son as his heir. So as we review today, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you need to claim the truth that God is your shield, your protector today? I hope that you take that step. Are you struggling to be patient until the Lord fulfills his promise to you? Just confess that before him today. Do you need to believe like Abram that God will keep his promises? Then just reaffirm that belief today. And then as a body of believers, let's encourage one another with these truths. Let's go to one another and just say, hey, God's your protector. He's going to take care of you. Maybe you know about a situation with a brother or sister in Christ, even someone at, at work. Go and encourage them. God's with you. He's your protector. He's going to keep his promises to you. <clears throat> as I close this morning, I want to read this illustration to you. In a New York Times article, journalist Alex Stone tells the story of how executives at a Houston airport faced and then solved a cascade of passenger complaints about long waits at the baggage claim. They first decided to hire more baggage handlers, reducing wait times to an industry-beating average of eight minutes. But complaints persisted. This made no sense to the executives until they discovered that on the average, passengers took just one minute to walk to baggage claim, resulting in a hurry-up-and-wait situation. The walk time was not a problem. The remaining seven uh, empty minutes of, of staring at the baggage carousel was. So in a burst of innovation, the executives moved the arrival gates farther from the baggage claim area. <laughs> Passengers now had to walk much farther, but their bags were often waiting for them when they arrived. Problem solved. The complaints dropped. Now you know why you have to walk so far to baggage claim, right? Because of this thing right here. You know, people are just complaining all the time. Oh, I don't want to have to wait and waste my time. For the same article, Stone interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson, the world's leading expert on waiting in lines to discover the, psycholog the psychology behind our waiting. It's just amazing to me that there's some dude out there that this is his life's work, right? <laughs> He's all about waiting in line. I'm going to study that. What happened at the Houston airport makes for a perfect illustration. According to Larson, the length of our wait is not as, as important as what we're doing while we wait. Often the psy psychology of queuing, which is standing in line, is more important than the statistics of the wait itself, says Larson. Essentially, we tolerate, quote-unquote, occupied time, for example, walking to baggage claim, far better than, quote-unquote, unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. This is why so often waiting on God feels like unoccupied time to us. We wait, but what's really happening behind the scenes of our life? Is God actually doing something? Anything? Waiting on God implies developing a new perspective of what God is doing while we wait on him. It's powerful, isn't it? Don't consider this wait that you're in right now as unoccupied time. What are some things that you can do to occupy your time while you wait on God? You can be in fellowship with other believers. You can spend time in prayer talking to God. You can spend time in his word. You can serve. 
You can share with others about Jesus. There's all kinds of things that we can do in the wait in order for it to be occupied time. And so I want to encourage you with those words today as we all experiencing the, experience the waiting game. And I just want to encourage you again that, oh man, God's delays are not denials. He's not saying no to you. He's saying wait. And that's hard sometimes. And so as we think about that and as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and mind today, would you just bow your heads with me as Gene and Roxy come to lead us in a closing song? Lord, we come to you. We confess that we're impatient people. Our culture has developed that in us, Lord God. We can have it and have it right now. But Lord God, sometimes that doesn't develop the character in us that you desire to be developed. And I pray today that in the waiting, we would do things that occupy our time. We would do things for your kingdom so that you might be honored and glorified. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your word and the encouragement we have from it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.